So, it's lovely to uh, be here today, and we have some visitors all the way from Kyrgyzstan who are looking straight at me. Jim and Jane, give us a wave. These are Jim and Jane. Round of applause for Jim and Jane, please. Um, I've known Jim and Jane for a very long time, and they run Oasis in Kyrgyzstan um, for the next four months, I think, is that kind of the, the deal. So if you want to go visit them, go and speak to them. It is an amazing country, and uh, they do some amazing stuff, and they're very nice people as well. I was slightly concerned when I saw them earlier, because they also have children, and the children aren't here. And I said, where are the kids? And they went, Kyrgyzstan, but it's okay, we left some tins of food out. So uh, we talked to them about their parenting skills as well. Um, but it's, it's lovely to see you all. Um, we're starting a new series, uh, uh, which I'll, um, I'll talk to you about in a moment. But just to say, on all of the things that we're doing for, looking to do for Lent, where we're exploring the theme of wilderness, I know there were lots of references to social media, and not everyone has social media. <laughs> not everyone's an Instagrammer or a tweeter or whatever the expression is. Um, don't worry, there'll be hard copies of the things that um, you can also use, and we'll make sure that those are available on Sundays as well. So, fantastic. So, we're moving on to a new, uh, a new series, which is called Emoji. Are we not the trendiest church around? <laughs> um, and, uh, but before we, before we look at it, I just want to uh, ask you this question. I don't know what your answer would be, but maybe if you like the people you're around, you could tell them what you think the answer is. If you were to respond to the question, what does a good life look like, what would you say? Just turn to the person next to you. <laughs> what would you say a good life looks like? I don't mean point to the face on the screen, by the way. What does a good life look like? Has everyone got it nailed? Got the answer down? The perfect job. Um, being as good looking as me. <laughs> Someone coughed really loudly then when I said that. It's like, great. Um, having the most incredible experiences, you know, getting to go to the most incredible places. Being in the most amazing relationships. Is that what the good life is? Um, they're all external things, actually, aren't they? Their looks and wealth and possessions and the things that I do, the things that I have. Um, but Jesus was asked several times this question by various people, teachers of the law and um, people with wealth, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that question in and of itself is so cool. Is that me making that weird feedback? Wow, I've turned into a robot whilst this happens. Um, what must I do to inherit eternal life, Jesus? Which was not a question about what's going to happen to me when I die. That wasn't what that question was. That wasn't what was being asked. That's what we've laid on it. That's the lens that we've brought to the question. The question being asked was, how do I live a life that is aligned with the life that God wants to bring me. 
How do I live the kind of life that is aligned to the life that God brings? Now, not later, but now. How do I do that? How do I have this, what Jesus said he'd come to do, which was to bring life in all its fullness? How do we do that? Um, How do we have the kind of life where there's nothing missing emotionally, relationally, physically, mentally, where we are whole, where we are complete, where we have peace in every dimension of our lives. I have come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness. I'd like you to watch this short but very cool film. So who wants to have a go? (laughs) Isn't it an amazing film? Isn't it just stunning? And um, when I first saw that film, I immediately thought, do you know what? I think when Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it in all its fullness, it was an invitation to be able to do life like that. I genuinely think that. Nothing missing, everything as it should be, to be able to soar through and have your ups and downs and get back up. And But I know this, because I know myself well enough to know <laughs> that it's often not like that. That life is characterized by things like regret and worry and boredom, anger. Anyone here get angry ever? Yeah. Good, honest, top there, thank you. Jealous, anyone? <laughs> Lie? <laughs> Our lives are often not like that. We're not living how it should be. And so what we're going to be exploring in this series is how do we handle those kind of things? How can we understand what it feels and is like to have the presence and life of God in the midst of those things that are normal to our lives? And how can we be transformed so that we are able to live in that fullness of life, which is the promise that God gives us, the invitation? Uh, These statues done by an artist called Catalano and um, posted along part of the French coast. And I always think of these as a really good representation of my own life, (laughs) that I'm not complete, that things do go wrong, that I have huge regrets, that I have worry, that I get anxious, that sometimes I even get bored even though I work for Oasis, (laughs) that I do get angry and I do get jealous and experience envy. And for me, it's an indication of how things aren't as they should be. And you know, uh, Paul in Romans, Steve probably uh, referred to it during the series, that moment where Paul is talking and he says, do you know, there's things that I do that I just wish I didn't do. (laughs) There are things that I do that I genuinely wish I didn't do, but I can't stop myself doing them. I keep doing them. And the stuff that I really do want to do, I don't seem to be able to do them. 
And so, there is this version of me, this best version of me, the me that is whole, that isn't quite here fully yet. And I get trapped into ways of behaving and thinking that aren't the full picture of what God has to offer, what the invitation is, what a life characterized by the Spirit of God really looks like. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, tenderness, faithfulness, self-control. Across the Oasis uh, movement, we talk about the Oasis Nine Habits, and you may have seen these appear. They're just slightly different translation. So, um, I wanted to uh, get you to a point where I was able to say, this talk begins with one of these. (laughs) Tell me what that is, anyone? Yeah, it's a grit bucket, a grit box, okay? Now, this is what happened to me this week. I got off the train, uh, or the bus stop, I can't even remember if I was on train or bus, and I walked up the road towards where I'm living, and I'm looking at my phone, and I'm checking things, and I'm looking at emails, and I'm just looking at my Instagram account, and just looking at Facebook, and suddenly go right over the top of a grit box, in front of everyone, my reaction was very interesting. Kind of everything slows down in your head and you, kind of, you can feel yourself kind of holding on to various, except there's nothing to hold on to. You are just falling to the floor. I'm really conscious that I've got an arm above my head, my legs, in, I'm going to let, this is just totally embarrassing. But then the first thing that comes into my head is there are people watching which there were on the other side of the road and there were cars driving past me as it was happening I am overcome with embarrassment then I do that thing that you always do where you go yes it didn't happen I just little small trip that's all that was even though I'm actually splayed on the floor in SE5 London I am completely poleaxed by it I'm like, that was nothing. It's nothing. (laughs) Total denial. (laughs) Absolute denial. Then I did this thing where I go, it's my bag. It's my bag did it to me. My bag. My bag is an inanimate object. But it was my bag's fault. And what I was saying to myself whilst trying to, you know, overcome the shame was... The, cape, the, the strap on my bag caught under the edge of the box and it caught on my leg and then I fell over and it's all the fault of the bag. And then I'm just mortified and I'm like, I just want to get home quick <laughs> because these people probably see me most days <laughs> and see that's regret right there. What was the real issue? The real issue was, don't look at your phone when you're walking along with your head down, not looking at what's in front of you. That's the learning in the regret, isn't it? My response, I pretended that it didn't happen. My response, I blamed it on the bag, or to be quite honest, Southwark Council or my phone. My response was one of shame. (laughs) I wanted the 
floor to swallow me up <laughs> so that no one would have known it was me. And then there's, that just happened and I need to get back up. That just happened and I need to get back up. So this talk is all about regret. And a number of people have asked me to enter into song at this point because there's quite a few songs with the lyrics to regret, you know. Um, but I'm not, I'm not going to, but I would like to say I've had a few regrets. Regret is really the ability to look at something and feel sorrow. To look at something and feel sorrow. And I would argue today that regret is actually our greatest teacher for small things and huge mistakes. Regret enables us to look back, if we're willing to, and learn from the things that have happened. Look back and learn from. The woman in the story who is caught in adultery this story is so familiar, isn't it? And it's really interesting to think in the story, who are the regretters? Who are actually the regretters? There's the woman, and then there's the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. And the woman is brought in, and she's told to stand in the middle. She has been caught in the act of adultery. You only catch someone in the act if you are watching them, which feels like this may have been a bit of a setup. But the law stipulates that the woman needs to be stoned to death, buried in a pit in the ground and rocks thrown at her head. But in the story, we read that Jesus bends down in the sand and draws something. Who knows what? An emoji. Who knows what he did? And speaks these words. If any of you is without sin, let him cast or throw the first stone. And gradually, the people left and the stones were dropped to the ground. You imagine being the woman and just hearing that happen. The stones dropping when you thought it was your head that was going to be hit. You just hear the stones fall to the ground. And then Jesus speaks to the woman and says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. I think that sometimes we are forced into a place of regret. And I think for the woman, she was forced into a place of regret. And sometimes I think we need to be invited into a place of regret. For the woman, the forcing made it very public. For the men, Jesus invited them into a place of regret with a question. Let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And that one sentence brings them to their knees, doesn't it? We have so many responses to regret, to things that go wrong. Denial, shame and humiliation, blame, 
or this acknowledgement. But let's uh, begin with denial. And I brought my, I was saying, I met the guys last night up at um, uh, the, uh, where, were we, where were you the night I saw you? South Bank, yeah. Um, I said to them, I'm bringing a frying pan. Uh, this is Teflon. What do we know about Teflon? Nothing sticks to it. Nothing sticks to it. And some people, some of us, our approach to when things go wrong, when we mess up, when we fall over the grit container, when we make the mistake that we know was wrong. We go all Teflon on it (laughs) and we deny it and it doesn't stick to us. And when we deny our mistakes and deny our failures, it's actually a refusal to learn. Think about those Pharisees in the story. Had they never made any mistakes? No, they just denied their mistakes. See, what pride does is it stops you from owning your own truth. It stops me from owning my own truth. And pride leads us to believe that we're perfect or better than others. And what does that result in? Well, I know for myself that it results in an unbending and a rigid personality that wants to control others. Jesus speaks to the lawyers, doesn't he? These lawyers who stand in judgment over the woman, who are preoccupied with their own appearance, their own strength. And another place in one of the Gospels, in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. That's pretty harsh. You look beautiful on the outside, but the on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. For some of us, when things go wrong, we go all Teflon. It just doesn't stick. Except inside we're not the performance we are on the outside. Because it's inside that the stuff needs fixing in. So how are we when there is a mistake or a failure? How are our reactions? Do you immediately move to denial when something has gone wrong or a mistake that you have been part of has happened? When did you and I last acknowledge a failure in front of others? Or did I dress it up and hide it? Denial. Another response. Blame. It wasn't me on my phone, it was Southwark, or it was my bag, or it was my mobile phone's fault. 
Second thing that people can do is instead of acknowledging regret, we move to a posture of just blaming others and excusing ourselves. You can hear the crowd in the story, can't you? Oh, that woman, can you believe she did that? I'd never do that. It's all her fault. And all of these are a refusal to accept the invitation of regret, which invites us to change. And sometimes we behave as if our mistake didn't happen or it wasn't our fault. But when we blame others and when we point out others, we become toxic and we become the kind of people that set up divisions between others. And instead of moving forwards, we just move back and back and back. And the lawyers and the Pharisees in the story, they are in a phase of denial and blame. Have you noticed how we live in uh, what someone has described as a culture of humiliation? Have you thought about that? How we celebrate, I don't mean you guys because you're all lovely, but how we often celebrate people's failure. You think about the way the media celebrates. Oh, they've fallen from grace and we're like, right, we'll spread that story. We point others out. We celebrate other people's errors. We put them in the middle of the crowd and we hold the stones in our own hands ready to destroy them. And Jesus just says, hey, those of you without sin, cast the first stone. What Jesus does in that one sentence is invite people to find themselves and the truth about who they are so that they have empathy for the person who is in front of them. Imagine that. The people who make the mistake and instead of throwing the stone, we say, I say, you say. Ah. Do you know, me too. Me too. The third response is shame and humiliation. For some of us, when we experience regret, just as this woman in the story does, what we do is we end up living life here, hidden, where no one can see us except occasionally coming out into the light. We feel shame. We want to stay where no one else can see us. This woman is caught in the act and she is brought out into the open, full of shame. And what shame does is it can kill us. But watch and listen to what Jesus does. Waiting for the moment, the woman is listening really carefully. 
And the Pharisees are waiting for Jesus to say, go ahead. But instead, Jesus says, nothing. (laughs) He just bows down and he draws in the sand. And then he turns to the woman and he says, daughter, you don't need to stay down. You don't need to stay hidden. You see, Jesus doesn't add volume to the shame. He reduces it. Jesus doesn't condemn, but he asks soul-searching questions. Jesus invites everybody in this story into the possibility and experience of regret so as to bring them to wholeness of life. The fourth reaction that we can have is acknowledgement. I love this quote. It's by uh, just someone who I think is very wise, Brene Brown. She says this, having no regrets doesn't mean living without courage. It means living without reflection. Regret is an acknowledgement that you can't control everything, that things have gone wrong. And Jesus invites people into a space where they can see and acknowledge that truth. And he invites them out of denial and out of blame and out of shame and out of humiliation. And he invites in the story and us to break the cycle of destruction and death that those behaviours have on our lives. Why? Because those behaviours are habits that we have. Our brains are wired to keep repeating the things that we do the whole time. The more of it you do, the more of it it becomes who you are. And Jesus invites them and us to live a different way. For the Pharisees, Jesus invites them to see and acknowledge their own regrets their own regrets that they actually deny and hide behind and blame others for. Jesus invites them to see with empathy and compassion. Jesus invites the Pharisees, people like you and me, to be honest and say, me too. To get curious On Sunday afternoons, every week pretty much when I was growing up, um, me and my uh, brother, who's three years older than me, we used to have a 